uh, you'll have a, uh, a sermon outline in the handout you got as you came in. I encourage you, if it's helpful for you, to, to um, uh, go along with that and it will help you sort of uh, keep uh, track of where we are. Uh, as Kath mentioned, we're in uh, the third week of our series in the book of Isaiah. It's interesting, isn't it, what people do in a crisis, uh, how we react when we feel under pressure. Apparently we stockpile toilet paper. I'm not sure what it is we were expecting COVID to do, but whatever it is, toilet paper seems to be the answer. And we're not learning. Uh, you go look at New South Wales, uh, speaking of friends, the, the shelves in their supermarkets are bare of toilet paper. Our family was living in Kensington uh, during lockdown 1.0, yet we mark it like that in Victoria. Uh, people were posting updates on social media, uh, on the community groups, uh, on the latest toilet paper shipments. Woolies in, New- in Newmarket, they just got a whole bunch of sorbent 24 packs. Showgrounds, Coles, Kleenex, no, they do toilet paper as well. One night about 10pm, somebody posted on the group, there's a new pallet of Quilton, 10-pack t- at the Shell Servo. Now, that's the stuff you miss out on if you're not on Facebook. <laughs> well, within about uh, five minutes, people kind of emerged out of the darkness and converged on the Shell service station like hyenas on a dead carcass. And the pallet was picked clean within about 10 minutes. I know, because I was one of those hyenas. <laughs> It's interesting, isn't it, how we respond in a crisis. And it's also sometimes a little bit revealing. It often shows what makes us feel secure, uh, what we put our trust in. Stockpiling, right? Camping on news websites, press conferences, scrolling, scrolling through the news feeds on our phones. There's a name for that, isn't there? It's called doom scrolling, right? If I just have enough information, if the government could just get its act together, then I'd feel secure. Well, how do you react in a crisis? How do you respond when you're under pressure, when exams are pressing, when work is stressful, when money is tight, when relationships fracture? There's often a lot of practical things that we can do, but in the midst of it, let me ask, are we trusting God? Are we trusting God? Well, in our passage today, Ahaz and the people of Judah face this enormous, this catastrophic crisis. They're about to be invaded. And they're petrified. They're petrified. And the question is, what will they do? How will they respond. Well, the call to them and the call to us today is to trust God. Let's pray that God would help us to do that. From Psalm 18, the Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Father God, you are our mighty fortress and stronghold. Would you prove these things to us today as we turn to your word? 
Help us all to trust you. Amen. Well, we know from uh, the first chapter of Isaiah, verse 1, that Isaiah prophesied during the reign of four kings, uh, Uzziah, Jotham, uh, Ahaz and Hezekiah. And uh, today's events are set in Ahaz's time, around 734 BC. Uh, These events uh, that uh, this passage is talking about are also recorded in the records of the Assyrian Empire. And all that's really just a reminder that we're dealing with facts here, right? It's not Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars. It's history. The events of chapter 7 really happened. And so to fully understand what's going on here, we need a a brief history lesson. So there's a map up there on uh, on the screen and you'll have that map that's reproduced in your outline as well. And you can see there uh, Judah down the bottom there. The capital is Jerusalem and Ahaz is the king. Uh, to the northeast is Assyria and its capital is Nineveh. Now uh, you might remember that from where Jonah was sent to preach. And there's a guy who's in charge there at the moment, Tiglath Pileser III, very royal name. Uh, he's the monarch, he's the emperor. And Assyria is the ascendant imperial power in the region. And they're like a hungry lion with their vast armies devouring the surrounding nations. Uh, In between Assyria and Judah is Aram, or or Syria, its capital is Damascus, and that is ruled, as we heard in our reading, by King Rezin. Israel is just a bit further south, and it's also, you'll hear it referred to as Ephraim, uh, named after its biggest tribe. Its capital is Samaria and it's ruled by King Pekah. Israel used to be one kingdom but after the time of Solomon there was a split and now they're split into the northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom Judah. Okay, so that's the background. And so verse 1, when Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem but they could not overpower it. Assyria was currently occupied on their northern border, so Rezin and Pekah saw this as an opportunity to throw off Assyrian rule. And they wanted Judah to join in, to join the party. But Ahaz, out of fear of Assyrian reprisal, he refused to join in. And so now Aram and Israel are marching on Judah. And their purpose, as you can see in verse 5, is to overthrow Ahaz and replace him with a puppet king who would do their bidding. So now verse 2, the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, so the heart of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. So Ahaz and Judah, they're, they're scared. They're petrified. They're panic-stricken. And you can see why. Maybe you've faced terror like this. Maybe you're facing it now. Well, into this situation, enter Isaiah. God sends uh, Isaiah to Ahaz with words of prophecy, of comfort, of reassurance. Verses 3 and 4. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Sheer Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, 
Be careful. Keep calm and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. Why? Well, because all the things that you you fear, it, it will not take place. It will not happen. Ahaz, says Isaiah, God is in control. Don't be afraid. Don't lose heart. The Lord has your back. It's the original keep calm meme, isn't it? Keep calm and trust God. Now that meme is based off our old British war posters. Keep calm and carry on. Chin up, head high, don't worry, carry on. It's a call really, isn't it, to be British. To a stoic self-dependence. But this call of Isaiah isn't a call to stoic self-dependence. It's a call to depend on God, to respond to your fear by depending on God, to humbly trust his promises. You see, God had made promises to Ahaz and to all of the house of David. Note the use of the phrase there, house of David, in verse 2. You see, in 2 Samuel 7, God had eternally bound himself to the house of David, to Judah. He promised, I will establish your house and kingdom forever. So yes, trouble is coming, but Ahaz, don't be troubled. It will be okay, but you must trust God. Friends, those same promises have been given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Who? Well, no one. Nothing, for nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And he who did not spare his own son, how will he not give us all things in eternity? Friends, they are God's promises to us. And so in light of God's promises, let me encourage you, whatever situation you're in, to trust God to make prayer our first response, not our last resort. To bring all our burdens, our worries, our anxieties and fears to him. To listen to him, to obey him, even when it's scary, even when that obedience, that trust is costly. Well, Ahaz is scared. God knows he'll find it hard to trust. And so in his kindness, God helps him to trust. And he does it by revealing that these two nations are spent forces, verse 4. They're smouldering stubs. So they have no power, really. They are no threat because soon both these nations will be shattered. Soon they'll be nothing. God is in control. I've got it, I has. Trust me. Friends, there's a lot at stake here. There's a lot hanging on what happens next. So even as Isaiah comforts and reassures Ahaz, he also actually warns him in verse 9. Ahaz, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. You see, our trust in God isn't the fallback option. 
It's not the contingency plan, the last resort to be tried when nothing else has worked. It's the only way forward for Ahaz, for Judah and for us. In times of blessing and in times of trouble. That's the truth of this passage because nothing else in this world can bear the weight of our ultimate trust. It all fades, right? Everything, it all fades, it it corrupts, it passes away. And so we can have every comfort, every security in this world, all the power, the fame, the wealth, all the PhDs, the job titles, whatever it is, but if we don't have God, if we don't have Christ, if we're not forgiven and found in him, then we have nothing. Because before the judgment seat of Christ, all of it, puff, it'll all just disappear. All our worldly props, all our accomplishments. But if we trust in Christ, if we trust in him, we have it all. Peace, life, everything in eternity. That's the promise of the gospel. Well, even after the warning, Ahaz still isn't quite there yet, is he? So again, God offers him a reassurance. He offers Ahaz a sign so that he can know for sure that God is with him. Verse 10, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Ask him for anything, whether it's up there, down there, anything. What an offer. Right? What an offer. You can have anything, any sign. It's like a blank cheque. Or for those who don't know what cheques are, it's a credit card miracle with no credit limit, right? Ahaz, ask me for anything, anything you want and I will show you and I will do it. The sky's the limit. Such kindness and grace, isn't it, by God? Surely that's an offer that no one would refuse. Verse 12, but Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Wow! What an amazing man of faith. What a man of God. He doesn't need a sign, he doesn't need a miracle, he won't put God to the test. God's promise is enough for him. He's God's man through and through. Well, actually, no. He's not. He's a phony. He's a fake. He's not God's man. He's not trusting God. You see, this is what else we know about Ahaz. This is from 2 Kings, chapter 16, verse 3. He offered sacrifices and burned incense at the high places. He worshipped foreign gods. And in worship to the same God, he offered his son as a sacrifice in the fire. Horrific. Awful. Ahaz, he's not fooling anyone. He's not faithful. He's evil through and through. And so we find out from the same passage in 2 Kings exactly why he doesn't want a sign from God. See, it's not because he's trusting God. 
It's because he's trusting someone else. Ahaz sent messages to say to Tiglath Pileser, king of Assyria, I am your servant and vassal. Come up and save me out of the hand of King Aram and of the king of Israel who are attacking me. It's not doing nothing, is it? It's not keeping calm. Imagine these words were addressed to God in prayer instead of TP3. Imagine that. They're addressed to God. Come and save me, Lord. I am your servant. What a wonderful, sweet and faithful prayer that would be. Except it's not addressed to God, it's addressed to the king of Assyria. You see, Ahaz has backed a different horse and his request shows exactly where his faith is. His act is faithless but it's also dumb. It's stupid. One commentator puts it like this. It's like a mouse, Judah, asking a cat, Assyria, to help him take on two other mice, Israel and Aram. It's not a wise manoeuvre, is it? What do you think happens here? Well, the picture tells it all, really. (laughs) Whatever happens, it doesn't end well for the mouse. So Ahaz rejects the offer of a sign, not out of faith, but from unfaith. And it's a fulfilment, really, of what God said in chapter 6, which we heard last week. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. That's Ahaz. So Ahaz won't ask God for a sign, but the Lord, the Lord will give him one anyway. Verse 13. Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough? You try the patience of humans. Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Well, that's a familiar verse, isn't it? The sign here is a child and his name means God with us, right? Emmanuel. Now we know how this sign, uh, this prophecy is ultimately fulfilled We remember every year at Christmas, the virgin is? Virgin is? Mary, very good. And the child is? Jesus, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Now, as with most prophecies in the Old Testament, there's a long-term fulfilment, but there's also a shorter-term, a more immediate fulfilment. The question is, in, in this context, in 734 BC, who is this child, right? Now, I've read a few uh, experts on the issue and what's, uh, what's been made clear for me is it's not clear. Uh, some say the sign is Ahaz's son. Some say it's Isaiah's son. Uh, some say the child is a metaphor for the faithful remnant of Israel, true believers within Judah, including Isaiah. You see, in chapter 1, Jerusalem is described as a daughter. In chapter 37, a virgin daughter, and so the son is the faithful remnant, a birth out of Zion, are those who trust God. There are lots of different options. Whoever he is, he's meant to be a sign of comfort, right? Of God's faithfulness and his salvation because his name means God is with us. 
he will save us. What else is clear though? First, the child isn't a sign of comfort or salvation. First, the child is a sign of God's judgement. A sign that God's judgement is coming soon. Have a look at verse 16. Uh, Before he grows up, that is, before he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, which in Jewish culture was about 12 or 13 years of age, the land of the two kings you dread, that's Syria and Israel, will be laid waste. So in the two, these two nations that Ahaz fears, God will judge and they will be destroyed. And guess what? That's what happened. There's a slide here with a bit of a timeline. Ahaz gets the prophecy, 734. A year later, after Ahaz has his plea to TP3, as I like to call him. Assyria turns her attention southwest and takes Israel's northern territories. There's a mistake here. That should be 732. We're not going back in time. Uh, Aram and Syria is crushed in 732 and then Samaria and the rest of Israel falls in 722. Ahaz, be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. It will not happen. And it didn't. A child was a sign of judgment for Syria and Israel, so it should have been a sign of salvation, of comfort for Ahaz and Judah. But the child isn't like that now because Ahaz and Judah didn't trust God or his word. Instead, they turned to Assyria. Instead, they ditched the Lord and worshipped foreign gods and took on their detestable practices. And so the child is not just a sign of judgement against Israel and Syria, it's a sign of judgement against Ahaz and Judah. Verse 17. The Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. God with us doesn't always mean God for us. Sometimes it means God is with us in judgment. And so God's judgment, it's apt, isn't it? It's so appropriate. God says, you want the king of Assyria? Well, have him. That's often how God judges. He gives us exactly what we desire in our sin and unbelief. And in verses 18 and 25 we see the absolute carnage, the terrible devastation Assyria will bring to Judah. They will infest and ravage the land like bugs, like a razor. Assyria will shave Judah completely, except it's no hipster cut here, no cosmetic waxing. It's complete humiliation. Briars and thorns will cover the land. Yes, there will be an abundance of food there, but do you know why? Because there will be hardly anyone around to eat it. That's what happens when mice get cats to solve their problems. And here, there's also a warning for us. 
Turn to anything but God. Put your trust in anything except him and the consequences will come back and bite you. Turning to sex or drugs or alcohol to solve our problems, to heal our pain. How easily can that end up in addiction? Maybe it's money or success or achievement that we trust in. But how many people have turned to them and died lonely and sad and regretful? I read a study by a palliative care nurse and uh, after uh, spending time with lots of people who were dying, she she wrote a book about the uh, top five regrets of the dying. Guess what? Not one person said they wished they'd worked more hours or had made more money. And even if our choice not to trust God doesn't finish in some kind of spectacular train wreck like it did for Judah, failure to trust God is going to have consequences for our faith. It will increase our pride and self-reliance when we trust God and not when we trust ourselves and not God. We'll feel more stressed and anxious as we try and bear the weight of feeling like we're doing things on our own. We'll be more fearful in the small things and in the big things, like COVID, like climate change. How can these things possibly work out if God isn't in control, if we don't trust him? We will do rash things, make ungodly decisions in our lives, in our relationships, if we don't trust God and his plans and purposes for us. For Ahaz and Judah, Emmanuel was meant to be a sign of comfort and salvation. But instead he was a sign of judgement. Because they chose not to trust God. But for those who did trust him, Isaiah, his followers, all who stayed faithful and survived the tribulations that were to come, the troubles... That child was a wonderful sign of God, of comfort, of his presence, of his salvation because that's how they made it through. Well, sisters and brothers, we know how the New Testament applies this passage. The virgin is Mary and the child is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Christ's birth in a much, much greater and in a much, much more wonderful way is a sign of God's loving presence amongst us because Christ has come not just to save us from a military threat or a a political enemy, he's come to save us from sin. As the angel said to Joseph, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And Jesus isn't just a sign for one nation, for Judah. He's a sign for the whole world, for all of us. For Christ is God's love and his compassion. He's our healing and our grace. He's God's forgiveness and he is our peace. He's our life, our hope, our future, our eternal glory. He is 
God with us. But just like the child was then, Jesus is also, also can be a sign of judgement now. Because if you don't trust him, if he's not your cornerstone, he's your stumbling block. That's what happens when you reject Christ, the Lord of the universe. And because he is the Lord of the universe, because he is God with us, the whole of history is in his hands. And we can trust him with anything. We can trust him with our hopes, our fears, our anxieties, We can trust him with all our joys, our sorrows, our uncertainties. We can trust him with our present and our future. We can trust him with our life and with our death. Because he is Emmanuel and he loves us more than we could ever, ever imagine. So today, wherever, whatever is in your life, whatever it is you're anxious about, whatever it is you're facing, hear these words of assurance. Be careful. Keep calm. And don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. I am powerful. I love you. I am with you. Let's pray. Lord, you are our rock, our fortress, our deliverer. Jesus, you are our Emmanuel. Today we bring to you all our fears and anxieties, all the stress, the ones we face personally and the ones we face together. Lord, by your spirit, give us a sense of your faithfulness and power, of your nearness and your presence. Give us a clear vision of your promises and your word. Give us contentment and courage and give us resolve. Give us whatever it is we need to stay faithful and to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, let's